We turn in God's word this morning to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and as you're finding the passage to those of you as fathers and grandfathers, may you have a very blessed Father's Day upon this day. What a great day for uh, Tim, his, his dad, as uh, they can see uh, one of their covenant children, their son, grandson, stand and make their profession of faith upon uh, a Father's Day. Our message this morning uh, kind of centers on the idea of a household, of, of, uh, of a godly father, of a blessed father. And uh, as we read God's word this morning, we're, we're going to actually look at three individuals, three different men, and how the events of 2 Samuel chapter 6 um, affected them and the one who received the blessing of the Lord upon his entire household. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to begin reading at verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cassonets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there. Because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. That place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Thus far, the reading of God's word this morning. Let's bow again in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. And Lord, may we understand your laws and your precepts. And may we seek to keep them. And Lord, may we seek your blessing. Not because we keep the precepts, but because we love you and we honor you by doing so. We ask that you'll bless Pastor Bob as he preaches and teaches 
on this passage, and may we understand who you are, as David was afraid of you because of your wrath and who you are. But yet, Lord, we also know of your love, and may that shine forth. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. It's been 70 years, 70 years since the ark has been a part of Israel's life. 70 years prior to the event that we read of this morning, the ark was taken into battle against the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas, the two priests who were carrying the ark, are killed. Israel suffers a great defeat that day at the hands of the Philistines. The ark is captured. Eli, the father of Hophni and Phinehas, when he hears the word that the ark of the, of the Lord has been captured, falls over in his chair, breaks his neck, and he dies. At about the same time, the wife of one of those boys gives birth. And she calls the name of the child that is born Ichabod. And she dies. And the name Ichabod meant the glory of the Lord has departed. It was a horrific day. The glory of the Lord departed from the people of God, from his covenant people. You recall the events that happen when the ark is in Philistine territory, uh, the fall of Dagon in the temple, the the Philistine god. Uh, The people carry it from place to place in whatever city uh, the ark appears. People get sick and ill and finally they say, let's just send this thing back to Israel. They send it back to Israel in the first place that it stops. the, The people of Israel peer into the ark. They look into the ark and... 30 of them die, and everybody says, whoa, we're stopping here. And they put it in the house of a man by the name of Abinadab, and there it is sat. It is sat there the entire reign of King Saul, who reigned for 40 years. It's been 70 years. David is now king. David is seeking to solidify his kingdom. You know, we all might say, oh, everybody wanted David king. No, not everybody. There there were some voices. Not everybody was pleased with with David. Not everybody liked the change of regimes that is taking place. Particularly, the Benjaminites are a little ticked off about this because they realize they're going to lose power. And so David has done a number of things to try to solidify his kingdom politically, marriage-wise. Now he's attempting to do it spiritually. Let's bring the ark back. Let's set up the ark. Let's bring back the worship of God. And that's where we find our story. The events, God's truth that is given to us today. So three things, three men, the judgment that falls on Uzzah, the anger of David, and the blessing on Obed-Edom. The judgment on 
Uzzah. You know, just imagine that morning when Uzzah wakes up, right? This is the day they're moving the ark. And he, he gets to drive the cart. Right? This is, this is a great day. They're going to bring the ark into, into Jerusalem. Everybody's going to be looking at the ark. And they're all going to be looking at Uzzah. Because he's driving the cart. This is a great day. It's a great honor. What a great privilege. My father used to repeat often uh, the story of the fact that when he worked for Consumers Power Company um, during one of the elections uh, of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, his challenger in one of those, a man by the name of Wendell Wilkie, came to Grand Rapids. And my dad got to take him around Grand Rapids. Somebody who ran for president of the United States. I think he got trounced. But didn't take away the shine of being selected, of being the one, of being chosen to drive. The honor. That's what Uzzah's day started with. He got to drive. The cart. But all that he most likely anticipated did not come about, did it? Notice what our text tells us in regards to Uzzah. Verse 6. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. You know, it's only recently in reading over this story again that, that a thought occurred to me. You see, as a kid, I always thought of this as sort of a hay wagon, right? I, I always thought of this story as, as he, you got a hay wagon. And, you know, he's sitting up on this seat with some horses, a team of horses or oxen in this case, in front of them, and the ark is on the wagon in the back. And, and I always wondered, how, how did he reach back there? But if any of you have ever traveled, uh, for example, to Costa Rica, to, to other countries such as that, and have seen an ox cart, you know it's not a wagon. You know, it's just a short little thing with some big wheels and there's just a little platform on the back of it. You don't sit on it at all. You walk beside it. Oh, suddenly the picture comes a little bit clearer in my mind. There's just this little cart with the ark sitting on it. It's not big. It's only two foot, foot and a half by three foot. It, it's not large. So they don't need a big hay wagon for the thing. So it's just on an ox cart. And, and the oxen are walking and he's walking alongside of the ark with the oxen out front walking with the reins. And, and one of those oxen stumbles. Maybe hits a little pothole. We don't know. And, and the cart tips just a little. And he, walking beside it, sticks out his hand to steady the ark. Uh, 
I've often thought in regards to this story. What's he supposed to do? Let it fall? Right? Put yourself in Uzzah's place. What was he supposed to do? Was he just supposed to let the cart turn over? And there the ark of God would fall and crumble into pieces. The cherubim would break off it. Who knows what disasters would come upon him and Israel in that regard. He touched the ark. In the providences of God, Uzzah was the man selected for the task. In the providences of God, for whatever reason, that ox stumbled at that location. And Uzzah's decision is to steady the ark. Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. See, that's, that's the other phrase that got me thinking. He didn't fall off the wagon and die. He died beside the ark. Right where he was. Right as he touched. He falls down dead. God's judgment breaks out upon Uzzah. God's anger is unleashed upon this man. Why? It's not the first time this sort of thing has happened, is it? Let me just give you one example. Remember Nadab and Abihu, two priests, two sons of Aaron, who decided one day they were, they were going to go into the tabernacle and offer unholy fire before the Lord? And as they do so, the anger of the Lord breaks out, and the fire of the Lord breaks out, and they're incinerated. Not their clothes. Their clothes don't even smell of smoke. But their entire being is incinerated. The anger of the Lord broke out then too. And and there is some correlation. What's the correlation? Nobody's following God's law. Nobody's paying attention. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not an Old Testament text, a New Testament reality. See, there would be many who'd say, Pastor Brown, this is just an Old Testament story. What's that got to do with today? It's got everything to do with John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I, Jehovah, change not. You say, well, what did they do wrong? Well, number one, the ark is supposed to be carried by Levite. We learn that if, if you go home and read the rest of uh, the chapter, you, you'll find out that they do it right. They figure it out. Oh, we need some Levites. They're supposed to have poles, and the poles are supposed to be on their shoulders, and the ark is carried above. There's no poles, and there's no carrying. There's a cart. Kind of minor, isn't it? No. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I got chosen to drive the cart. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. 
If I love the Lord, I will keep his commandments. David, David, wait a minute. Thank you for the privilege of being selected. But you know what? We're not supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be carrying it. Levites are supposed to be doing it. Does Uzzah do so? No. What does that reveal about the heart of Uzzah? What does that tell you about Uzzah? The fact that he should have known the law. David should have known the law. Everybody should have known the law. But they set the law aside. And now the anger of God and the judgment of God has broken out. But it's not only that. The last time anybody did anything with this ark, people died. 30 people died. Because they touched the ark. And they looked inside of it. What did Ezra think? Something different was going to happen? Probably. We all make that determination, don't we? You see, we can sin and get away with it. We can sin. Other people, the judgment of God righteously comes down. But we, oh no, no, no. We have a right to not love our neighbor as ourselves. We have a right to put ourselves first. We have a right to be number one. We have a right. God's judgment isn't good. We all, don't we, have a tendency to reach out and to touch the ark, to steady it. But third, think of what this means in terms of Uzzah's theology about God and how God now is dependent upon man to hold the box. Think of how he's limiting the power of God. His understanding. The oxen stumbled. How? Under the decree of God. The cart moves. How? Under the decree of God. But I need to now step in. Oh, how often it is, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we think that we need to somehow insert ourselves and take control of God's providence. God's judgment. Well, maybe that helps you to understand why it's breaking out here. But you see, it's bigger than that, isn't it? This is bigger than Uzzah. This is God's judgment, not just on the man who reaches out and studies it. This is God's judgment upon David. Something's wrong with this whole scene. Something's wrong with this whole situation. In the nostrils of God, something stinks. God needs to stop the whole movement of this ark. No, you're not taking my ark into Jerusalem, David. No. Why? David's not following the law either. David is the one who, when he becomes king, is supposed to write the whole of the law, have a copy of the law for himself. He should know. The judgment of God is breaking out on David as well. 
Maybe God is looking at this and saying, this whole religious thing, David, I don't know if your heart's really in it. I think you're just trying to unify a nation. I don't think you mean anything by this. I don't think your heart is sincere, David. I think this is just a sham. I think this is just a show. We're entering into that political season, right? Okay? Campaigning has begun. How many, how many those running are going to be showing up in churches in the next three months that don't darken the door of a church for years? Oh, I'm campaigning. Now I have to be really religious, you know. I have to show forth that, that I mean business. That I really follow the word of God. Really? Really? Thou shalt not take my name in vain. Thou shalt keep my day holy. But I'll take the photo op with a Bible in my hand. God says, hmm. Nah, I see through all this. I see through what's happening. You mount the pulpit of those churches in the inner city to garner votes. It's not to worship me. It's not about worship. It's not about glorifying me. It's about power for yourself. David, we're stopping the ark. But the judgment is even bigger yet, right? Because it's on the whole of Israel. All of Israel is under this judgment now of God. Yes, it breaks out on Uzzah, but the judgment is breaking out on David. The judgment is breaking out upon all of Israel. No presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord has still departed. The second man in the story is David. What are we told about him? Two things. One, verse 8. He is angry. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. Why is David angry? His plans just got smashed. As a father, as a dad, as a grandfather, and as a husband... I can confess before you, I get what David's anger is all about. See, because I see how the lawn's supposed to be done. I see how the car is supposed to be washed. I see how this is, because it all has to fit, see, Bob's way. It has to be done my way. And what happens when our plan, what happens for our agenda for the day doesn't follow? What, what do we do? That voice suddenly has an edge to it, doesn't it? We suddenly get angry. Why? Because we had a plan. It didn't go as we planned it. Therefore, we respond in anger. We need to confess that today, dads. That, that's not right. It, it, that's what David's doing here. And, and when we read it here in this passage, we go, uh, David, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that. No, neither are we. Neither are we. He's angry. 
His administration is embarrassed. His plan's ruined. But then, note, he is afraid. Verse 9. Verse 8, he is angry. Verse 9, he was afraid of the Lord. Now what? See, his anger, which came about first, gives way to a, well, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? And he's afraid of the Lord. Remember who this guy is? This, this is the guy of whom the word says, this is a man after my own heart. But David is now afraid of the Lord. So what does he do? He puts the box aside. He doesn't want anything to do with God. How often have we not had some certain plan? This is the way it's going to be. I got my whole life figured out. Right? This is the way it's going to be. And suddenly God comes with his providences and says, no, this is not the way it's going to be. No, I got a different plan. I got a different purpose. It's all for good. It's all for your good. But it's not the way you think it's going to occur. And we respond with anger. We get mad at God. And then we become afraid of God. So what do we do? The other A word here would be we avoid God. I'm so mad at God. I'm afraid of God. So now I avoid God. I don't come to church. Because I'm really still mad at God. I'm still angry with God. That, well, we'll give God the silent treatment. We're angry, we're upset. We don't talk to people, we avoid them. Another, perhaps, sin that oftentimes we as fathers are guilty of. We simply avoid it and we take off and well, then I don't want anything to do with it. If this is God ruined my plans, what's he going to do to me next? This is David. But there's a third man in the story as well, isn't there? Verse 10. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. I want to call your attention to four things in regards to the blessing on Obed-Edom. First of all, this, this house of Obed-Edom. See that verse 10? He took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. Anybody who studies the Old Testament, you'd know that that word house has a lot of different connotations. Yes, it means the physical dwelling. Yes, that's what it means here too. They took the ark and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. 
the physical place where Obed-Edom and his family lived. But we also know that the word house has a broader context. It means family. Rather than the structure, it means the family of which he is a part. Obed-Edom is a Levite. We know that because he is a Gittite. The Gittites are from a city called Gath-Rimmon. Gath-Rimmon is one of the 48 Levitical towns that are given to God's people, to the Levites to serve. Joshua 21, 24 is the scripture text. He is of the family, and we're not quite sure if he's the family of Kohath or Mary-I. The name kind of seems to appear in both lists. However, most commentators will say it seems like the weight falls more on the fact that he is a member of the Levitical tribe under the family of the Kohathites. He lives in this exact location. God in his providence has Uzzah die, has the oxen stumble right beside this guy's house. A man who is a Levite, a Kohathite, his house. Secondly, I want you to think about his example a minute. Now, there's two ways we can go with this. First of all, just just stop and think for a minute. You know, I'm sure as the events of this day, seeing it's right outside of his house, the parade's going by the house. He's probably outside watching what's going on. And all of a sudden, here's this parade, here's all this music and this sound, and everything stops. Why? Hey, there's a guy laying dead next to the cart. What happened? He touched the ark and died. Nobody dares go anywhere. Nobody dares do anything. David's angry. They're asking if you'll take it in. (laughs) Let's see. Uzzah's dead. 30 people back at Kirith-Jerim are dead. Philistines, they got all sorts of sores. Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. You realize to take that ark in, what that means? I mean, if he took it in willingly, if, if he said, sure, bring the ark in, then just imagine what it is that Obed-Edom sees and understands that is far beyond where David and Uzzah and Israel is. That in God's judgment, there is always grace. That's where we're going to be in a few minutes, right? In God's judgment, there is always grace. On the other hand, it could be this. Obed-Edom, I hereby order that you take the ark. Okay. What does that mean? Because he did it. What does that mean? It means... He understood David's authority. And he was willing to submit to the authority of David, who is the anointed of the Lord. So either way you kind of look at this, if David forces him to take it and he does so, he obeys, 
or if he is doing so willingly, are certainly an example. The problem is, what we might tend to do is to say, you see, it's the example that leads to the blessing. And that's where we need the correction. Whether he did so willingly, whether he did so understanding David's role as king, as the anointed, that's not why God blessed him. Did you see that in the text? See, it gets reported back to David, right, that the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom. Why? What what does verse 12 tell us is the reason? Obed-Edom is blessed because he's such a good Levite. Nope. Obed-Edom is blessed because he was willing to take the ark in. Nope. Obed-Edom is blessed because he obeyed David when David ordered him to take the ark. Nope. Obed-Edom is blessed because he's just a wonderful dad. He's just, he, he probably got all sorts of things for Father's Day. Maybe a bow tie. That's why he's blessed. No. What does the text tell you? Why is Obed-Edom blessed? Because of the presence of the ark. See, it's got nothing to do with Obed-Edom earning this blessing. He didn't do so many good things that now he is blessed. It has everything to do with the presence of God. It has everything to do with the ark. It has everything to do with grace. See, David thinks it's all about earning it. Uzzah thought it was all about controlling it. Obed-Edom is simply there as the picture for us of those who receive it. And by receive, it doesn't mean I choose it. God isn't coming to Obed-Edom and saying, Obed-Edom, look, I got this wonderful blessing. Do you want it? Yes or no? If you say no, I'm moving on to the next house. God is blessing him. He is pouring out his blessings. They're coming in avalanches upon Obed-Edom. Why? Because God is present. God's presence. God's grace. Because you see, none of us deserve the presence of God. God's grace. Dads, granddads, we we can't earn God's blessings as fathers. It's God's grace that brings the blessings. God's grace in his presence. (laughs) That's what we're about in a couple of minutes, right? The presence of of God, the presence of Christ, spiritually, not in, in the physical change of things, but spiritually present. And where that occurs, what happens? Blessings, blessings, blessings. 
But notice the blessing is not only to Obed-Edom. He blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him. (laughs) There's our covenant, isn't it? There's that picture of God's covenant working again. That Obed-Edom is blessed, but so is his household. So is everything that belongs to him. His animals were blessed. His crops were blessed. His carts were blessed. His wife was blessed. His sons were blessed. His daughters were blessed. His grandchildren, if he had them, were blessed. Everything was blessed because of God's grace. Because of something they did. Not because of some decision they made. But because of God's grace. Not because of some act on their part. But because of an act of God for them. So what happens? David hears. He hears what? He hears the gospel. God has blessed Obed-Edom, his household, and everything that he has because of the ark. Come on, David, move the thing, but move it this time for the right reason. Bring it to Jerusalem. And he does so, and the rest of the chapter tells us about this great event. And all Israel is blessed. God's covenant people are blessed. How? By God's grace. By God's grace. Three men. Three men. I pray that each one of us today, as we come to the table, will come as a David who's been transformed by the gospel message with a desire to worship and to glorify the Lord. I pray that we come as Obed-Edom today, having received God's grace and the multitude of blessings that God has already given and that God will give us. But I pray that none of us approaches this table as an uzzah. as an Uzzah or as an angry David or as an afraid David or as the avoiding David but come 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 as one who understands grace and pardon and mercy and forgiveness in the judgment of Christ, in his death, there is life. Today, Matt stood and testified, this is what I believe. This is the truth. This is the gospel. If you don't know that gospel, that's not true of you, then I ask you, don't participate today. Don't don't participate. But if you understand that glorious truth that this table is not for perfect people. It's for sinners like David. Sinners like Obed-Edom who understand God's grace in Christ. If you've made that profession of faith as Matt has done, join us at this table. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you. 
What a beautiful reminder from your word of grace. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.